answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years. It's Allworth's Money Matters with co-hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome to Allworth Financial's Money Matters. I'm Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McClain. Thanks for being part of the program and for joining us today. We're excited to have you with us because we are excited to be doing another program. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> 25 years. It's funny. I was... Uh, I was talking to someone. They said, "Don't you ever get sick of doing the show? You've been doing so long." I was like, "It's not always the first thing I like when I have to go to it, but whenever, well, since I'm in the studio and the mic's on, I'm always having a good time. So yeah. it's always good. It's, it's yeah. a lot like work. What's that? Like work. You don't always like going to work, but normally when I'm at work, work's okay. Well, a lot of things. I guess in life that's pretty that much way. like that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you can focus on the nasty and bad parts of things. Anyway, we're glad you're part of it. Uh, this show addresses all things financial, but really with a focus on retirement retirement transition we realize that if you look at uh, baby boomers today heading into retirement roughly two-thirds say they want to continue some sort of work in retirement uh, about half of those say they want to work for some sort of pay we also seen the more educated one is the more likely they are to be working in retirement not because they necessarily need the money but because they're doing it for other reasons but we also believe it's important that people are retirement ready because 48 percent of us are going to be forced into retirement earlier than we had planned and it's good to be in a position where work is an option and not an obligation. And so our, that's a lot of our plan is to help people with to get to that point in life. It's a blessing once we're there. And uh, we want to make sure that uh, people can well, be in that place. The in stability life. adds the ability to retire if they want. Yes. Stability leads to ability. Stability leads go. to ability. There we go. <laughs> get those marketing that's people new. on the that's phone. <laughs> stability. <laughs> All right. Now, yeah. truly, if the more stable your retirement plan is, the greater the ability you will have to be able to retire comfortably. There you go. Yeah, whatever comfortably means. We try to aim for the same standard of living that people were living in prior to retirement. Yes. That's what that's our baseline. As financial advisors. That's our baseline. And for most people, that's it too. Correct. Although sometimes you do see somebody that's saying, I'm I'm willing to have a lower standard of living because I can't stand my job. Yes. And then at that point in time, Trying to help them retire. Yeah. So anyway, we'll uh, start off with some calls because we love taking calls on this program uh, because we enjoy interacting with people. That's why we're (laughs) as financial people. It's funny when I remember starting the industry, looking at different career paths to choose. I studied finance because I enjoy finance. And I I knew there were some paths that I'd be crunching data most of the time, building models. And I'm like, yeah, I need to be working with people. Yes. Because anyway, so here we are in the show. To be part of our program, 833-99-WORTH is the number. Again, that's 833-99-WORTH. And we're starting off with Alan. Alan, you're with All Worth Financials Money Matters with Scott Hanson and Pat McLean. Yes, hello again, man. Yes, you have totally reimaged yourself. Not that you're any different. You're the same good guys I've been calling for See how many years, as you said, not twenty something, but at least ten. I think. I've well, thank to you. you. All right. But you have a great new image I see on TV. You're so beautiful, and yet you're doing the, you're doing, you're doing sort of the Lord's work and trying to help people figure Alan, out. I love you. You right. call well, every anyway. week if you'd like. If, no, matter of fact, no, call Alan. early Monday morning no, in no. my home and tell no, me how no, wonderful no. I am and no. give me a little encouragement. All right, today. Alan. Yeah, I know. I'm the guy right. that I, I, I did. I did. I did work on behalf of the state. I worked in the deferred comp program. Went to Calpers meetings. Just, just tried to dis, demystify aspects of that for one of our trustees that sat on the board. So, in any event, so I wanted yes, to ask yes. you. I know. I know you don't talk a lot about it, and I don't <clears throat> believe in it necessarily. But 
in a in a negative environment with the very strong potential going forward of uh, let's say the U.S. Uh, equity markets, you know, taking a downturn and then sadly, let's say our economy going into a true, the horrible R word recession. What is your view on on gold? Uh, usually, I hear financial planners uh, talk about maybe a small allocation to real physical bullion or coins and such. And then there's another group of people that say, you know, a more efficient way and a better reward way is, is gold mining stocks, totally isolated from just the river indices that you might recommend that are going to have some of them as part of them. So what's, what's your thoughts on that? And, and by allocation, kind of like a percentage recommendation, if you believe in a bear market. Well, a bear market's going to happen, obviously. Historically, bear markets have occurred uh, about every three and a half years. The average bear market lasts about 10 months. Uh, so we'll have it again. We've had uh, right, roughly 10 recessions since World War II, somewhere in there. Although we've been um, about 10 years since we've had a recession. We're in the longest expansion in, re in re really history. recorded history, uh, which is quite phenomenal. Incidentally, um, Australia's gone 28 years without a recession. Much smaller economy, but just because we've gone this long doesn't mean we're going to hit a recession. So I have no idea when the next recession's coming. The challenge that we have with gold is it doesn't, it doesn't produce anything. And as prices go up, more miners enter and mine more gold, which increases supply at that point. Takes a while, of course, to get the mines back up and running and stuff. But there's a lot of shuttered mines around the world. And and the reality is that we even saw mines uh, when gold spiked the last time. Mines in the state of California, the least friendly uh, environmental state in the union for mining. Mines opened in the state of California that were deactivated 20, 30, and 40 years ago. Um, yes, so it is, it is funny. It is funny in general, man, isn't it? That that people kind of come late, uh, what uh, people who worry, oh, I've missed out. This is true in anything in life, right? Oh, I've right. missed out. I better not miss out on the rage. So I, I hear what you're saying so, there. All I'm saying is for the for the good quality, and I wondered in your company, if, if you even wanted to hold nah. individual names. Nope, 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 nope. And the reason is you got to view gold like any other commodity. It's you got to view it like any other commodity because while there'll be short up and down spikes, or declines in the price, over time, the cost of actually getting it out of the ground is what is ultimately going to determine the, the value of that particular commodity. Much like wine grapes, or pork belly, or orange juice, or... Timber. Or Whatever. coal, or we could keep going and going and going. If we believe... If we believe that we're going into a recession, which, by the way, I, I'm not that smart... Uh, to determine, although you do look at the bond markets and you wonder, this is a little bit crazy out here uh, in the bond markets, uh, not just in the United States. Yeah, negative but rates around the world. Globally. Um, then why not just lower your equity exposure a little bit? Um, and, and you're doing I, the same I have, thing. I have, no reason to, to, I have no reason to believe one way or the other that gold is about to take off for another rally. Yeah. So As I know, it's been a horrible investment the last 50 years. Yeah, well... Oh, well, I guess I'd have to have a debate. We don't want to do that with your listeners on air. But in any event, no, there are. Well, you can just look at the there data. Are tactical, there are tactical times. Uh, well, you not okay. Agree? Yes, there are absolutely yeah, how, tactical times. But, but that's, that doesn't mean you're going to be right going forward. Yes, I don't. So we don't. I don't believe anyone. You can build a model of any sort of investment. and You and, can back test it. Because every back test, actually, every back test I've ever seen works. Or people wouldn't show it to you. Because you build the strategy based on what's happened historically. But that wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree, though, that you knew? I mean, you did not know. I did not know, although I got out quick enough where I shaved a, a massive haircut from 207, 208. Wouldn't you agree there are times you'd say, ah, if I model conditions that are like type of conditions, we, then that particular asset type might be very attractive to you for a you know, one-year period yeah. of time, as an example. Yes, but I don't see that with – but, but because gold doesn't produce anything, it's really hard for us to figure out how do we value that. It's, so it's you, based you upon more the, like you would more like then, and whether you're gonna go long or short on it, you would more like something that I wouldn't long or short commodity oil. Oil. You would much rather look at oil either on a long or a short basis and build it into a portfolio. I, Alan, I don't know anybody historically 
who's produced excess returns by having a strategic model that says it's time to go long on oil and now let's go short on oil or long on gold or short on gold. If anything, history is littered with companies that have made strategic bets based upon what they believe, what their their research told them was going to happen, and they blew themselves up and went bankrupt. So, and you've seen the same thing with hedge funds managers trying to do these things. I see that to me, if you look at this, the, the historical data, I don't see evidence that it's possible to build a strategic model that says we should go long gold and now short gold. And, and go back to do some research, uh, research on long-term capital. There's, the plenty, there's plenty of a the um, company. And the, 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 who's the uh, Paulson who made a killing by betting right on the mortgage market? He yeah. lost a bunch on gold afterward. Afterward. So anyway, he made yeah he made a very bad decision that well, day. Okay, there we I, go. I heard saying you yeah. have to be right, but but okay, but you know I don't know if you're you're baseball fans, right? You're baseball fans. Wow. You know the new the, the I don't know if you are baseball. I'm not a baseball fan, but look at you can try to hit the singles, you know the analogy, okay. or you try to hit the home run. How many times you have to hit the home run to score a run versus how many singles do you need to get in a row That's to right. score that same That's run? That's right, money so, ball. Yeah, so and Chrissy, most people aren't sluggers. So we appreciate the Even call. If they believe they Thanks for uh, being a long-time yeah. listener. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. Uh, We're not going to uh, – we will get nowhere in that debate. <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> no, I certainly have a lot of respect for, for what he's done over the years with the um, lead and the pension plans. But, yeah, we will get nowhere in that debate. And sometimes these academic de- – that's what makes it kind of, of interesting. First of all, and believe me. It's one thing to actually have these academic debates. It's another thing to actually create a new theory and put it into practice. And it's yet another thing when you're a financial advisor sitting across the table from someone as their portfolio fluctuates in value. And your your job, my objective as a financial advisor is to act in that client's best interest and do everything in my power so that the client has the highest probability of success in retirement. That's your job. Highest probability of success. And timing the markets, layers, right? It's who, I mean, timing the markets does not provide the highest probability of success. No, particularly trying to make bets on commodities. Underweighting the markets or overweighting the markets That's a, a little story. bit. Yeah, it's a, it's but in and out. That's just or trying just, to reduce some risk here or there. But yes. All right, uh, our contact number eight three three. 99 worth is the number to be part of the program. Here you can join Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. 833-99 worth. We're in Vacaville with Dan. My question for you, Scott, is uh, at my age um, of 73 and have uh, survived um, a, a couple of downturns in the market and also uh, the Jack Welch's uh, uh, decline of, of his premium, um, I've, I've recovered to up to let's say 80% of, uh, of my portfolio as it was years ago. And, uh, but at this age, I'm thinking that um, I better start uh, rearranging my portfolio to, uh, to, to where I secure the assets, yet I can still draw some of the money from the assets. And I'm not taking much money now fr- from my, the portfolio. I'm only taking about $6,000 a year. How much? How big is this portfolio? Well, it's um, it's just uh, it's just a, a micro hair under a million. And you're taking out six thousand. How much GE stock did you have in this portfolio? I I sold everything and 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 reinvested. Uh, um, uh, I I sold the the GE stock uh, in two different moves. When uh, to buy uh, to buy other stuff? When? Uh well. Um, that uh, well, Jack Welch uh, retired in two thousand and uh, was it? Uh, you know, he retired in ninety nine, I think, didn't he? Or yeah, just, somewhere right. It was amazing. That stock was about roughly sixty bucks a share in the year right. two thousand, and today it's I don't know ten bucks or less well, or something. Like count. I've sold everything uh, from the GE, um, but uh, I sold it off uh, years ago in two different increments. And uh, have, have have been babying so, the, the portfolio. I don't understand how you're only at 80% of the value when you're only taking $6,000 a year. Because from where it was in the peak in 2000. Well, I also have a pension. I also he didn't have sell it all in two, He didn't sell it all in 2000. I mean, the broad stock market has more than doubled since 2000. Yes. Well, um, it, I, I, I factored up. My the growth of, of, of and I, I also buy things. I also buy you know some good stock and and I figured since um, 
since uh, oh, um, I went, what year was it? It was like um, since 2010. Um, I've grown uh, three to four percent a year every year. That's you know that's, okay. that's counting the losses in too. So, what's your question for yes. us? My question is is um, as a as a as an older person who who uh, who, who realizes this market's what the twelve or thirteen years of, of a reasonable good market. I don't have enough time to ride a, a bad market back up again. Well, you're not you're not really spending any money out of this portfolio. Would you like to spend more? Well, I, I guess when that day comes, I will. I've got my pension, I got my social security, and the house is paid for. So here's um, so here's how I would think of this. And to me, it's your age is kind of irrelevant here because I think what's to what because you're you're 73. You know, I don't know what your health's like, but you're statistically you probably got a you know another. 15 years on, if you look at a mortality table. <laughs> That's a very lofty goal. I, I appreciate okay. well, that. Whatever, let's call it 10 years. You're not spending <laughs> it, so odds are, I don't know if you're married, but if so, this dollars go to your wife. If not, you... No, I, I've been divorced for a lot of years. Okay, then do you have kids? I have one grown son. And What's you, what, the... is the money going to go to the grown son? Well, yeah, it, 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 it has to go to him, I suppose. But or it he... could go to charity. <laughs> Yeah, I can go to charity. Okay. A the lot fact of is, like- so the fa- okay, the fact is, you're not spending much at all of this thing. So right? you've got to manage it for the person that's going to inherit it. Well, and I would, I would, and I appreciate that you'd sold some of the GE. Um, had you been more diversified, your portfolio would be much higher than eighty percent of what your value was. And Jack Welch retired. Yes. Well, it is diversified. I have an IRA and I have my uh, uh, my trust. the The trust is actually here's the uh, bottom pretty line. Much, uh, you, you, in line, percentage wise, because you are barely spending any of this, you have the luxury to do whatever you want. You can keep it all in cash. You could put it all in stock. If I put it in stock, I'd use probably a lot of uh, indexes with a little bit of active no managing around it. No individual securities. But if I was meeting you for the first time and you were the average 73-year-old that came into my office, I'd probably put the portfolio 50%, 50-50. stocks, 50% bonds and cash, assuming that you were going to spend a majority of it in your lifetime. And I would use a well-diversified portfolio. I'd stay away from in- individual issues. I'd put the bonds in the IRA, and I put the stocks in the brokerage account in order to take advantage of the tax efficiency on capital gains and a full step up in basis that is provided by the tax law. And in the IRAs, because they're generating income and you're going to have to take it anyway under under, uh, required minimum distributions, I would put it there. It's that easy, and that would be my recommendation. Yeah, you don't have to make it terribly complicated, but I highly – I'm just going to lay it out there – you would be you would have been well served to have a good advisor helping you over those years because um, I guess as you retire from GE that's why you had a good portion you know you talked about you yeah. <laughs> mentioned Jack Walsh to begin with um, and for other listeners out there if you're listening and uh, you you've got a high percentage of your portfolio in your employer stock just uh, uh, point back to GE stock over the last twenty years and. Um, or Westinghouse, or Aerojet General, yeah. or AT&T, or... Yeah. Anyway, I appreciate the call. We're going to continue on talking with Margarita in Los Angeles. Margarita, you're with Allworth Financial's Money Matters. Um, I have a question. Um, I went through a great divorce, and consequently, I bought a house um, later. I was about 50, I think, when I purchased the house. Um so I had a 30. Were you actually, Margarita, were you actually gray at 50 because most 50-year-old women dye their hair? Do they not? <laughs> I do color mine. Okay, so a gray divorce, I don't know. Scott, <laughs> you can't ask that <laughs> <Why> question. <not? laughs> That's okay. I admit, it's I 2019. All right. Nobody That's has true. their hair, natural hair. No women has their natural hair. I shouldn't say none. 99% of women don't have their natural hair color. Well, you know, I work in an occupation with a lot of males, and believe me, a lot of guys don't have natural hair either. So, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the guys mostly do the home job, and it's got this reddish hue to it. Where so anyway? Okay, so you you have a home. It's a thirty-year mortgage. Fifty. Yes, sir. Okay, what's your question for us? And 
the initial loan was for $424,000 for 30 years at the interest rate of 3.75%. Okay. Okay. Currently, the balance on the loan is $287,000. Okay. So I was wondering if it would behoove me to refinance at 4.25%, and that would lower my monthly payment about $145, and therefore I'd have that $145 a month to do other things with. How, how old are you now? I'm happy 57. Yeah, the, 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 uh, and I assume you're, uh, this is the only debt you have, is that correct? Uh, no, not quite that. I just recently did a 1031 for some property that I had in Los Angeles, so which made me buy two other properties. Okay, but those were investment properties, so you don't have auto loans or anything like that? Correct. Okay, and you have money in your, you're putting money in your company 401k? Yes, and I'm scheduled to retire in about 18 months. Are you going to stay in this home? Yes. And the cost of money is four and a quarter. Yeah, for me to refi. Yeah, you're increasing your your interest expense is going up about fifteen hundred bucks a year by doing that at the higher rate. Yeah, so you're saving on a monthly payment, but you're re-amortizing over a longer period of time. So you're Another actually seven years. It's yeah. not worth it. It's so, not worth. So the cost of money is more, which tells us no. Fifteen hundred dollars a year more in interest. Um, so the answer is you should not do this. Um, and I assume that you have enough money to retire comfortably and make the current mortgage payment. Yes. Okay. But I'm also entertaining maybe possibly downsizing as well. Okay. Well, perfect. Um, then uh, you absolutely should not be doing this. Um, absolutely not. Because the cost of money is uh, a half a percent more. I mean, the real, I think you, what you hit on the head, Margarita, if you were in a house, if you were able to take that $287,000 mortgage and turn it into a $100,000 mortgage, 30 mm-hmm. years, that's where your, your bigger savings would be. Okay. And do you have a lot of debt on these two new properties you just did a 1031 on? Uh. I wouldn't say a lot, but it's some debt. One property I was able to purchase outright, and then the second property, because of the amount uh, that I had to deal with with the total for the 1031 exchange, the second house, I ended up having to take a small. Uh, okay, good. good for uh, you. Good, 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 which good. told us, good, 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 which good. tells us that there was plenty uh, of cash in the yeah, deal. Yeah, good. We were good worried. For you, we, we're not worried. worried about you now. No, nope. but what, I'm happy now. For what, Mar- Margarita? <laughs> what Margarita just said to the listening audience was, she had a um, value in a property uh, that was a investment property that was so large she couldn't put it into a single property. She had to put it into two. And for that, we say, good job. Well, thank you. I'm glad somebody. I get kind of nervous, you know. Oh no, no, no! Good job, deals. good job, good job, job, yeah. good job. Just continue to. I would not go. refinance this mortgage. Nope, just leave it alone. But I like the idea of getting of trying to figure out how to reduce that, and if that means downsizing or moving to a different. Well, then actually, we should change the name from downsizing to something else because it actually sounds like you're moving down the ladder. If you move to a smaller house, it's not really downsizing. It's normalizing. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever said that you needed twenty seven hundred square foot house or, or forty thousand or, or whatever? When did that to. become the new norm? Why don't well, we pretend? Have you seen the new houses they build? They're all massive. It seems like. Well, the the issue I'm having is, you know, my mortgage payment at this point would equal, let's say, if even if I downsize, sort of my mortgage payment would be about the same. So then I'm like, well, why not have a bigger house? My mortgage payment. Oh, so you want a bigger house? Well, no, no, no. I mean, it's funny you say 27 square feet because my house is about 20, almost 2,800 square feet. Yes. And I'm by myself. My daughters are college graduates and they're doing fine on their own. So, and they come home and tell me, mom, mom, you need a smaller house. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't see a problem with it because I look at the, the money issue because my mortgage payment is X amount of dollars. And if I bought a smaller house, it, my mortgage payment may stay the same. Mm, if, you, no. if you bought a less expensive If you house. bought a less expensive house. What's your house, house worth, Ballpark? You, she said it's... What? My house 
roughly about seven hundred thousand. And if you were to move to a smaller, how much would that cost you? Uh, in the area I live in, yeah. um, maybe. Five hundred thousand. All right. I mean, if you did that, you your your mortgage would yeah. go from three hundred thousand roughly to a hundred thousand. Yeah. So and would, then and then it would be a difference. Yeah, it's significant. Your payments would go down significantly. Well, I guess I just love my neighborhood. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, no, that, that's a completely. <laughs> yeah. You tried to. You tried to. We're financial guys. We're we're not getting super emotional because we've never ever been no. to your house. You've never had us over, so we don't know what it's like. We're just dealing with the money. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. I know. We'll be over there tomorrow afternoon. I got, I've got three kids living in the L.A. area, one at, one at UCLA and two at Loyola Marymount. We'll be over next Saturday afternoon for dinner. Well, congratulations, Dad. Uh, uh, all right, Margarita. All right, appreciate the call. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue with calls. Our contact number is toll-free, 888-833-99-WORTH. That's 833 833- 99 worth. This is All Worth Financials Money Matters. Welcome back to All Worth Financials Money Matters. I'm Scott Hanson. I'm Pat McClain. And uh, this is fun with radio. Yes. I yes, suppose. Yes, yes, Financial yes. stuff. We try to make it so much. Before we go back to the calls, by the way, if you want to join us, 833-99-WORTH is the number. There was uh, a spectacular blow-up of yet another what is known as a private placement. Yes. What is a private placement, Mr. Hansen? A private placement is a an investment where whereby the the sponsor of it, rather than going to the public markets, let's say, and having a publicly traded company to investors, or even a private, even a like a a private venture, they Structure a, a structure an investment that their whole plan is to sell it through independent broker dealers and read, pay commissions. Yeah, read salespeople. Yes, uh, dressed as financial advisors. That's right. And so here we saw just in the last few weeks this group uh, called GPB Holdings Two. G is in Go. P. It doesn't matter. GPB Holdings and GPB Automotive Portfolio. They have seen declines of 25% for the holdings and 39% in the automotive. 39% decline. These are pitched as stable investments. Matter of fact, there used to be somebody who would have, have radio ads that talked about uh, uncommon investments because they weren't tied to the stock market. So obviously this wasn't tied to the stock market. But you wish it was. You wish it was. Highly correlated. <laughs> um, they're pitched through brokers. So, and sometimes independent broker dealers where an advisor might, might be calling themselves a fiduciary and might even be stating that they're a fee-based investment advisor, but they also sell financial product. That's why it's so important that you understand where your advisor is getting his or her pay. Where their compensation is coming from. So they raised $1.27 billion. This is not a little bit of money. This is a lot of money. $1.27 billion for these two funds for GPB. And they paid, GPP paid $167 million in commissions. 9.3% commission is what? 7% to the broker, 2% to these broker-dealers. So I actually... Um, I Googled this, uh, the name of this firm, um, after I read this article, and lo and behold, the first four uh, listings were ads that came up for law firms that actually said, if you have a complaint against GPB Capital, call us. Now, odds are you are not an investor in GPP Capital. We don't even know what they are uh, and did very little research on them because it's irrelevant. What is relevant and why you should care is that the structure of this was a private placement, not a publicly traded security. Which means that you didn't know the value on it on a day-to-day basis. There's no there's no exchange to look up the price. You didn't know how the broker that was selling you the product was getting paid. You didn't know for every $100,000 that you gave them, approximately 9000 immediately went to feed people in the pipeline. By the way, this is also how... 
how non-traded REITs work, non-traded real, very similar syndication process. So when you hear us talk about non-traded REITs, in fact, someone always, why are you always ripping on, they ask me, why do you always rip on these non-traded REITs? It's because we see the damage that happens when people come into our office and want to get out of an investment that they cannot get out of because they were in a private yeah, placement or non-traded REIT. They're stuck. And that's not to say that every portfolio that we're going to build for our clients is stellar and they no, love it. No, of course it, not. Right? It's investing. There is inherent risk in all of it. But it is a risk we, but, adjusted Pat, return. We do use publicly traded securities and publicly traded ETFs and no load mutual funds where you know the value on a particular time and you can sell it whenever you'd like. There's a marketplace for it. There are no marketplaces for things like this. Yeah. This thing started out by paying out a nice uh, dividend to investors. So every month, investors get a nice dividend and think, oh, I love this investment. It's so nice. This 15% of those dollars that went back actually were just return of their own principal. And, and Scott, I misspoke. Earlier, I said $1.27 billion. That was just for one of the funds. They overall raised $1.8 billion. It's um, The bottom line is don't invest in... in Things that don't trade, things that you can't get out of. And and make sure that your advisor is not getting paid a commission by selling you any product. Ask him or her that. Yeah. Make sure like, say, look, I, I want to make sure that I'm not in a in a relationship where you're gonna get any sort of commission on selling me a product. Can we please structure it that way? We get no commission. That way they're not I mean, you get some advisor, gee, they I get I paid all up front, they 7%. don't they don't care what the outcome was. Well, or maybe they care. They probably care, but why have that conflict? Yes. You don't need it. Anyway, let's take some calls here. If you'd like to be part of the program, a contact number, 833-99-WORTH, 833-99-WORTH. We're starting with Mary. Mary, you're with Allworth Financial's Money Matters. Hi. How are you? Hi, Mary. Hi. So I have a question in regards to Social Security. Okay. All righty. My, my question is, I'm in my late 50s. And I don't plan to um, draw against my Social Security till my late 60s, God willing, if that works. And I have, I want to know if I can draw against my ex-husband. And I've been told from family and friends that I can draw against his Social Security and it not go against my Social Security, if I'm saying that correctly. Yes. yes. But so I was I was married for eleven years, and I know you have to be married for at least ten. And he is unable to claim his social security, and I didn't know if what I was hearing was true or not. So, like, so here's I, he, here's how a spousal benefit works. First of all, uh, spousal benefit the maximum is fifty percent of their benefit. It's not the same as their benefit. It's fifty percent, okay. and let's say that. He started Social Security at age, you, you said you wanted to work until your late 60s. Is, right. Is, unless he's younger than you, there's probably no benefit in this whatsoever. Your, because, your benefit is probably more than 50% of his. And if you started claiming at 62 and you were still working, that you would lose that Social Security benefit anyway because you would go over the, the limit of dollars that you can make while you're receiving benefits. Does it matter if he won't be able to claim his social security? Well, and why wouldn't, did he work at a job where he did not pay into social security? No, he's incarcerated. Huh. You know, it's I have a new no idea. Me. None. And to my knowledge, will be for some time yet. And how long has he been incarcerated? Um, well, I'm going to say 10 years. I, I'm not. Oh, so your, your, social, your Social Security benefit is going to be yeah. clearly yeah. bigger than half of what his would be. Yes, yes, because he hasn't been paying in. Okay. Yeah. So how much so, do you earn? How Approximately how much do you earn? A little over 90 a year. Right, no, oh, no, 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 no. okay. Forget it. So listen, so he's making about eight cents an hour. <laughs> Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And they're not withholding any social security on that. He's bringing it down to the canteen. Okay. Yeah, getting right. himself. All right. Enough of that. The, the fact is, Mary, your benefit is going to be larger than a, than a spousal benefit would be on his. Y yes. Guaranteed. Don't even and 
Yes. Don't and listen to anyone tell you. Anyone that listen, it's all garbage. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, when I first heard that, I thought, well, maybe maybe I should look into no, that. No, 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 no. And no, when a friend no, says, don't, you yeah, should, don't. Just, yeah. just you just know, talk about, when they start talking, acknowledge and ignore. Talk about the weather. Yes. Okay, that's exactly what I'll do, and I'll just. Forget that piece like I have already. There we go. Good. Yes. Yeah. No sense thing bringing that back up all the time. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate the call. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Good. Enjoy the rest of your weekend then. Yes. You as well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. And let's continue on again. If you want to join us, eight three three ninety nine worth. We'll get you on the program. Let's talk with Bob. Bob, you are with Scott Hanson and Pat McLean, All Worth Financial. Hey, guys. First, I have to tell you that I've learned a lot from you guys over the years, so I totally appreciate that. But I have Thank two you. questions for you. One is, um, first, I'll give you a little history. Um, my other half and I have about $2 million in our IRAs. We have about 800000 in rental real estate, no debt. And from the rents, we get about $4,000 a month. Um, his pension will be about 4000 You got and, a good rental. And our uh, yeah, and our retirement accounts, um, I think we'll get about 5000 My two questions for you are, what is a reasonable withdrawal rate? Should I go with 3% or 4% from the retirement accounts? And then second is for our long-term care, I feel like we could cover it. And uh, we both have longevity in the family to like age 90s. And our relatives who have ever needed it needed it for about two years, and then they died. And so I feel like we could cover it, but I wanted your thoughts. Should I get a long-term care insurance how, policy? How old are you, Bob? Um, we're both 55. Okay. There, there uh, are... Actually, back up. I'm sorry. Actually, back up. We're both 53, and we're going to retire at 55. Okay. And are you married? Um, we're together. We've been together for 30 years, but we're not married. But okay. we have uh, wills and trusts all set up so that... Each other, the other one gets the other. There are so long-term care. The whole industry is a mess because years ago, when they, a lot of insurance companies were in that space, they mispriced it, and the premiums have skyrocketed over the years for people who bought the policies years ago. There, and most most of these policies are sold with a shorter-term waiting period. Think of it like a deductible on your car. You probably have a high deductible on your car. I'm guessing you probably don't have a two hundred fifty dollars deductible, yeah, right? Because you're. It's like I get a four of the small stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, and you've done well, and you pay attention to your money. It's the um, and long term care. Think of it the same way. A lot of people have like a low deductible. They have a short waiting period before the, uh, the the benefits kick in, so they tend to be pretty expensive. There there are some policies out there now. I hate to say this because we're we're usually negative against insurance, life whole life insurance, I should say. But there are some whole life or universal life insurance policies. They're kind of a single pay policy where you put in 80 grand or 100 grand or whatever, and they'll guarantee your long term care. And the reason they work well is because, and, and if you don't use it, it goes on to your ears. They well, work well because you end up using your own money first. And, and you could buy them on two people. Correct. So it pays out on both of you. So if, let's say I bought one of these, and let's play it from the insurance company side, because when you buy something from someone, you want to know why they're selling it to you, right? What's in it for them? What's in it for you? So I take $100,000 and I put it into this life insurance policy that actually has a benefit of $100,000 a year approximately in long-term care benefit, right? Yeah. If you or your partner go into a long-term care facility, they will use your own money up first. And then they will actually have a lifetime benefit forever on the both of you. You will not get any life insurance proceeds at if all. If it's used. If it's used. But if it's not used, you'll get your money back. So what is what are they how are they making money on it? Well, they are not really insuring you for the first hundred thousand dollars in a long term care facility. Just as you said, most people have a short period of time in a long term care facility. So they're just using your own money for the deductible. And then they're taking the money that they're making on your $100,000 they gave you. And paying for the insurance. And paying for the insurance and taking profit from that. And what makes it really attractive is because it covers two people. And all they're doing is they're playing the morbidity, mortality game on the other side. And what what's that policy called? They're, Just life insurance policy? No, they're called... Uh, uh, we've been referring it out to um, other sorry. firms. We don't, we don't sell it ourselves. 
Um, yeah, we don't sell any product yeah, for that yeah. matter. But um, it's just it's it's a life insurance um, with a long term. I don't know what they call themselves. Yeah, it's like life term care writer. Yeah, but yeah. there it's there's a couple companies that have good good. There's only a couple companies that that have good. I tell you, so email us email us uh, uh, at info at Allworth and write Scott or just say Pat McLean said he would send me the information on this. Policy. And then we'll send you the and we'll person. send you we'll send you the guys the person's name. But you you can't use money in an IRA to buy it. It's got to be money outside of an IRA. So that's the answer to long term care. Okay, and so I always wondered too if I could just sell. Like we could just sell the house and that would pay for our long-term care insurance too. As long but as you both go included, in the same time. Well, I mean, sell the rental house and then I'll sell oh, the one we have. Got it. You, you, you probably have enough assets to self-insure. Yeah, you don't need it. And if you do things right, your net worth is going to continue to grow through the years. So you probably don't need it. You probably do not need it. But if you're worried about it, this is an but inexpensive that, way to do it. Yeah, and we, I mean, and you're kind of the. The, the, the policy is too it's too expensive for someone who doesn't have much assets to say oh, I'm going to throw a hundred grand somewhere to cover my long term care in the future. But for those that have plenty of assets, we see people say I like the concept behind it. I'm con- I'm not worried about the two year stay if that's what's necessary. A two year in home health care. I'm worried about a fifteen year so, dementia. And just or to make sure I have it right. I was taking notes. Sorry. So I give them the hundred thousand up front, or whatever the number is, a monthly yeah. payment or any. That's okay. correct. I'm not paying a monthly payment or anything. That's well, correct. That's, okay, that's a great option. No, yeah, that is. A good it's a, it's, it, it makes sense, especially because it covers the both of you. I'm always has to, I always have a distrust with insurance companies, which I think is a healthy. But but the reality point. is, you could self-insure. You've got a high enough asset base that you could self-insure, and I assume you have no debt on your primary residence. Did, uh, we have no debt all the way around. Okay, so uh, you for, could self-insure, but you don't need to. You could, you, you can't. If you're worried about it, it's you, you, what you're giving up is the growth on a hundred thousand dollars in order to get some peace of your mind. Your second question is a safe withdrawal rate, right? And yeah. you've probably done, you've heard about the four percent rule. Like uh, what that does, and if you run the numbers on that, it states that you're going to take a four percent withdrawal the first year. The second year, you're going to increase that by whatever inflation is, and you're going to do that every year indefinitely. And it says that you completely ignore whatever else is happening in the world, right? So here's what we've seen. We've been doing this a long time. We see people during, like during the financial crisis, I saw very wealthy people say, I, we're, not, we're not doing the same kind of fancy trip this year. We're not, just, they just, and even if they had the money, I remember talking to one guy, he says, yeah, but my good friend is like out of work. I just don't, he just feels felt funny about spending the money. So most people's retirement income is a bit fluid, particularly if you're on the higher end, meaning some years you might spend more than other years. So if I were 55 and retiring, I'm assuming you're having Social Security is going to be kicking in another decade out or so? Well, so um, I've always listened to you guys, and I bounce around between the idea of 62 or 70, and I think I'll play it day by day, year by year. Yeah, you got plenty. Yep. You had a decade to go. Yep. I'll yep. Tell you. But I have not included that in the um, equation. Yep. I figure So you can, money here's how you can mistake. look at it. If you want to be ultra conservative, do a 3% withdrawal and hope that you both lived in 95. If it were me, I would probably opt for a 4% withdrawal. You've got this guaranteed pension. You've got this rental. Um, and you've got a home that's paid off. I, If it were me, I would probably opt for that and every year re-examine. What percentage? Oh, okay. What percentage withdrawal do you think you need to take in order to be comfortable and continue the same standard of living? Well, so this is crazy. So if it was just rents and pension, we would have about three thousand dollars extra every month when we're retired with health care and everything covered. Um, and so it's like kind of gravy money. Okay. So the answer there is zero, unless you want to enjoy yourself. <laughs> Right. So you don't so need it. Because I've listened to you guys about that. So we, we've talked about what could we do to enjoy ourselves? Because we are pretty frugal people. It doesn't take a lot. To That's make why you diet. have the money saved. That's why it's there. So I would start. And my guess is you have, my, my guess is you're, you don't have massive salaries. My guess is you we don't actually. Yeah. So you've got roughly 3 million in savings or $800,000 rental, 2 million in retire IRAs. My guess is you're not each making three hundred thousand a year. My guess is that you've been good savers for a long time. So the yeah. 
pretty yeah. much. Yeah, professionals. And- I would start, because you don't need the money, uh, I would do a 3% distribution and spend the money. All right. Right? Yeah. All right. That would so, too. No, that's good. We and then every year you can re-examine it. Spend it. Now, you might need to set up a series of equal payments from it, but that's not a... Yeah, it's Series 72T, and you can set that up on one or And or you can split the IRA so you can back into whatever number you need. So yeah, that's... I figure, yeah, I've built a spreadsheet about how much I can take out maximizing my taxes and that kind of thing. I yeah, build. and you could take money from your IRAs before you're 59 and a half as long as you set up as a part of a series of equal payments. Uh, and there's some – go to 72t.net, I think it is, and it kind of describes those rules around that. But good job. Oh, wait, that's a – so that's a good point. I could start taking out a little bit earlier to save oh, yeah. my – to lower oh. my required minimum distribution. Oh, that's correct, and you should. Oh, that's a great idea. Well, thank you. Well, if you're not going to spend it, you convert it to a Roth instead. Either which way. We do, but, we, it, but we prefer you spend it. That's to Pat's point, yeah. Otherwise, the two is going to turn into three, going to turn into four. But it may make sense for him to actually spend it and convert some to a Roth. Yeah, that's where all the planning is. But you're retiring in three years? Yep. Yeah. I'd worry about that in three years. Well, he's not going to. He's going to worry about it every day. That's why he's going to retire in three years with this much money. That's right. (laughs) Good job. Yeah. Good job. Don't forget to enjoy the money, though. Yeah. All right. Will do. All right. Thanks, Bob. Glad you called. And that is sometimes the challenge, Pat, is that... uh, that is sometimes a challenge. Let's continue on with Douglas. Douglas, you're with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean, Allworth Financial. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Hello, sir. I have uh, taught on college level, so I have money in SDRS, State Teachers Retirement System. If I start taking that and Social Security at the same time, that will reduce my Social Security by whatever I take monthly from them. Okay. Yes, yes, correct. All right. So at this point, I am 66. I'm going to work till I am at least 67, which will be February next year. And um, my plan is to take my Social Security yep. at that point. But I don't want to be penalized with the SDRS money. Can I go ahead and withdraw that as a lump sum? We're only talking thousands. We're not talking a huge number. Withdraw your STRS as a lump sum? Social Security my, a year. My STRS is, is uh, probably five dollars $6,000. Can I draw it as a lump sum now without affecting my Social Security? Five or $6,000 a month? No, total. Total I have in the account. Are you? I don't, I don't understand. Uh, you don't want to withdraw your money from your... If, I don't understand. So when you say your STRS is five to six, how long have you been a teacher? Uh, I only taught part-time, college level. And how much will your pension be from from I teaching? No idea. A couple hundred a month. Okay, uh, okay. okay. Now, we're, okay. now we understand okay. what you're okay. talking about. Okay. We're both looking at each okay. other so confused. We couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Because the numbers didn't make any sense. You said you were a college professor, and you're like, well, this thing number should be much, much higher than what right. they do. So the bottom line is this. You say, look, I've got five or six grand in my state teacher's retirement system, lump sum, which almost nobody right. takes because that almost never makes sense to take. You're much better off with a, with a pension on the, for most state plans, uh, which will pay you some minimal dollar amount when you retire. So you're, quite, you're wondering, what if I just took the, the cash out today? That way I have no uh, state pension. I have no windfall elim- elimination provision on my Social Security. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if it works like that or not. I don't either because I've ne- you're, this is such a unique situation. I have no idea because they might account that the lump sum is the same as but a monthly distribution. I would also kind of wonder how big of an effect this is going to have, this well, windfall elimination provision. It won't be much because of yeah. this. And but secondly, it's uh, if it's 200 bucks a month, that two hundred dollars a month is twenty four hundred bucks a year times the rest of your life expectancy. A whole lot more money than five or six grand cash out today. That's correct. So from an economic standpoint, you're better off taking the monthly pension versus the lump sum, by far. And now, in saying that, I doubt. I doubt this two hundred dollars a month has much of an impact on your uh, social security benefits. It's not a dollar well, for dollar reduce, offset. They reduce yeah. Social Security by whatever you get as a pension from the SDRS. Oh, there's a, yeah, there's, it's the windfall elimination provision. Yeah. So, but right, right. But it's kind of <laughs> understand. I don't. I, I still think you'd probably be better off taking the pension. Okay. 
And, it's and an interesting situation. I think that if you took it as a lump sum, they're still going to account for it. I would think. Well, the fact is, you right. still. The fact is, you still have it. It's those years that you didn't contribute. And here's what: it's those years that you contributed to a pension, a state pension, and not Social Security. That's what triggers the windfall. So my concern is, even if you took the lump sum, you're still going to pay. They'd say no. There was, was the, these were the years that you. I was doing both. I was working full-time but the wages but i know but they take into consideration the wages that you had that you were contributing to a state retirement system whether it's state right. teachers or but it's not the the money that you're losing these dollars didn't affect any of the social security benefit that you actually are deriving in the private sector it, uh, it yeah. is it is not it just flat out isn't the dollars that you put in so you were a professor at night right right and uh, and by the way, one of my all of my favorite professors at college were actually people that had full time jobs and were professors on the side. So thank you for that. And you were putting money in the private. Uh, you were working for, for private industry, and you were putting money in the social security. Any money that you are losing in this windfall provision, elimination provision is not affecting any of the dollars you put in in private industry whatsoever. Doesn't come into account. It's supposed to reduce my monthly uh, payment from Social Security. It's the, well, the estimate it, the estimate you receive pretends like you've been paying into Social Security on the wage you receive from teaching. That's where the reduction comes in. Yeah. Okay. So go down and sit down with a Social Security. They're not going to have this, this, yeah. this, this question. That's what I have to do. They're not going to have an answer to this question. They can get an answer to this question. Uh, Probably not at the local office. Someone has a. Probably. I don't yeah, think so. It's a really interesting oh, question because it's so, very unique. So, uh, but you're probably still better off taking the monthly yeah, pension. And so. what did you teach, by the way, Douglas? I teach industrial courses. Oh, good for you. CAD CAM, machining, um, CNC programming, stuff like that. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Now I, I started out as a high school shop teacher, but that's a long time ago. Oh, oh really? How many fingers yeah. do you have? <laughs> I have all 10. I was never good. Very proud shot of class, class, by the way. <laughs> I appreciate the call. <laughs> Thanks, Douglas. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have during our program. We've got a great educational library at our website, allworthfinancial.com. If you haven't been there a while, we encourage you to go check it out. There's some all kinds of guides, tutorials, blogs, etc. Just about anything you could imagine as you're trying to prepare for your financial future. And we'll see you next week, the same time, the same station, or the podcast. This has been Allworth Financial's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.